Welcome to Red Carpet Retirement. This podcast is all about helping business owners and those in the entertainment and creative industries secure and protect their financial future. We provide educational stories and specific strategies so you can achieve the red carpet retirement you so richly deserve. Now here's your host, Adam Scott. Hello and welcome to Red Carpet Retirement with your host, Adam Scott. Adam, how are you? Hey, Eric. Well, as ever, you make me feel very cheerful and great. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here with you today. Well, I appreciate being here with you. Uh, listening audience, if you do not know, if you're just joining us, we're actually doing a second part today. Or Adam's going to introduce us to a second part of a podcast. Go back and listen to the first part. It's about real estate. The future may be different is kind of the title that he was working with. And there was a lot of great information in the first podcast. Please go back and listen to that. Adam, you're going to do this part two. What are you covering today? Right. So I reckon the first one, we talked about home ownership and how the future may be different uh, for, say, my kids' generation and for other people and why that may be the case. So today we're going to talk about mom and, what I'm going to call mom and pop real estate, buying a rental unit, right, and why the future may be different. And we're also going to talk about how to assess whether the pros and cons of buying of buying rental units and, and how do you assess whether it's a good purchase or not. Okay. All right. That's a big question. I've, I've been a landlord. It wasn't for me. <laughs> My wife and I decided, uh, this is a lot of work and we already had two full-time jobs. So it was a little different for us, but um, I'm excited because I'd like to get back into it at some point. So I'm all ears. What do, where right, do we start? Right. So we're going to start with a conversation I had with my son, Oliver, who is 28 years old. Oliver, he said that he wanted to buy an apartment building. And, uh, you know, and I was, again, sort of throwing some cold water on that idea. And Oliver says, well, dad, if I own it for 30 years, I mean, there's no, no way I can lose money, right? And uh, I was trying to explain to him how it could happen that he, that he would lose money. And he said, even if the market sells off, it's always going to rebound. I'm always going to make money. And this seems to be a common perception in the American public and actually in the British public where I came from, right? Real estate has done so well over 40 years. Yeah, People just cannot imagine it not doing well. Yeah, they see 2006, 2007, but they felt, you know, Oliver feels that, hey, I'll just write it out. And even if I lose money, even if my apartment building goes down, even if I'm underwater, I'll just keep paying that mortgage. And uh, after 40 years, I'll have made money. That's nice yeah. <laughs> if it works out that way, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to look into that. We're going to look into those calculations for Oliver. First of all, we're going to look at the pros of owning real estate. What are the good things? There are some great things. And we're going to look at that, including some of the tax strategies, the amazing tax advantages. So Adam's actually going to be happy about real estate for, for a moment when we get into that. Then we're going to talk about the cons. We're going to talk about one of the most important things, the calculations. People like Oliver have no idea how to calculate whether real estate is a good value. They just have this assumption that it's got to work out long term. So we're going to talk about some of the basic calculations, things like what's called the cap rate, a thing called the NOI, what's your net operating income, and the very basic idea of how to calculate that to see if it's a good idea or not. All right. Right. We've got a lot to get to. So the pros, we're going to get all excited cash flow, right? That's the first pro. I have uh, friends we were just staying with in England and they're teachers and they're just retiring. They've got a nice teacher's pension, but they have spent their life putting money into real estate. And And my friend Guy is very handy and he fixes it up. He can take care of anything that goes wrong. And that's his passion is fixing up houses and then they rent them up. But he started doing this 40 years ago. 
houses were a lot cheaper, but now he's getting great cash flow because they're all paid off. And yeah. it's something he can understand, right? Stocks and bonds, that's not something that he knows or can understand, but houses, he can touch, he can feel, he knows how to fix them up. It, it, it's real to him, <laughs> real estate, and he's getting this nice cash flow. So that's one of the great benefits about real estate. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So the next thing, um, and we, to a certain extent, you can count on that cash flow unless your tenants stop paying you money. And that's happened to me. And I'll talk about that in a second. The real kicker over the last 40 years here in Southern California has been real estate appreciation, right? Mm -hmm. And what's so great about, well, of course, appreciation is always great, right? But what's great about real estate appreciation? Any, what's different about real estate appreciation versus the stock and bond market? Any idea, Eric? I don't know. I don't know where you're going with this because okay. I, I've seen some some good appreciation, especially over the last few years when the housing market was crazy hot. But long term, I'm I'm curious compared to the market. Right, right. So the difference with real estate appreciation, why it's been so great over 40 years, is leverage. Right. So let's say Oliver. Let's say my Oliver buys a four million dollar apartment building and he puts down twenty percent. That's eight hundred thousand dollars. And, and I know, Eric, you think, wow, your 28-year-old son is really rich, Adam. <laughs> and uh, no, he, he's not of that order. But uh, if you were to buy a building in Santa Monica here where we are, you know, maybe it would be $4 million. So that's why I'm going with $4 million, mm -hmm. right? So he puts down $800,000. And let's say that thing goes up by 10%. Well, he's just made money on other people's money because he's had a $4 million property go up by 10%. It's gone up $400,000. And he only put down $800,000. So let's say it went up 10% a year. He just made 50% on his down payment. Now, if he had that just stuck in his savings account at the bank or at the stock market, he's not going to make 50% in one year. So that's why people think that real estate is so great. Yeah. And it has been great over 40 years because prices keep going up. Interest rates keep going down. Their, their mortgages keep getting cheaper and cheaper until recently. And that's pushed prices up. Leverage can cut both ways. So I guess I'm, I'm giving a kind of spoiler alert here for the cons that uh, leverage can cut both ways. Of course, if his apartment building went down by 10% and he put his life savings on 800,000, maybe him and his brother both somehow scraped together 800,000, everything they had into that property in one year, they've lost everything that their life savings that it might have, you know, another person might have taken them 20, 30 years. You, you, mm -hmm. Eric, you might have spent your life clawing together that $800,000. You put it into an apartment building, it goes down 10%. If you're forced to sell, you've lost your life savings, right? So the appreciation on the upside with the leverage is great, but beware on the downside. Yeah. yeah. So next, uh, the next, the great benefit that I want to get to, the real kicker about real estate that, that is kind of money in the bank are the tax advantages. And this is why it has made so many people rich in this in this country. I mean, along with the appreciation, right, is the tax advantages. Mm -hmm. So are you, uh, are you aware of some of the tax advantages, Eric? To well, owning your, yeah. Yes, some of them. But my property was not an 800000 or $4 million property. <laughs> right. So my, my tax advantages were a lot less than than what you're going for here. Right, right. But you would have got some of these. So the first one, and this really bothered me when I first came to this country and first learned about it. Actually, it was when I first got in the investment business. And I found that that cash flow we talked about, that rent that, that you're getting, you don't pay tax on it. You certainly don't pay tax on it at first. 
And why don't you pay tax on it? And it's not just because of the maintenance costs that may go towards it. And it's not just because of the mortgage that may go towards it. It's because of something else. And uh, I'm always putting you on the spot, Eric. Do you know what the big kicker is? Why you don't, you know, what's the great kicker about real estate and why you don't pay tax on that rent? Is it because of the real estate tax itself? It is because of depreciation. Oh, depreciation. That's right. Depreciation. You, the tax man, the IRS or tax woman, whatever the IRS is, the IRS tax god forces you to take to depreciate that property over 27 and a half years. It says after 27 and a half years, the building component of your property will be worthless. So it makes you deduct a certain chunk every year and say that's the amount of money you lost on the property every year. So if you got rent that equal that amount they say you lost, you don't owe any taxes on that, right? Any questions around that? Oh, lots, but we don't have time today. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to ask the audience to email you questions about that right. because there's a lot of, and it all depends on how old the building is and what you can depreciate, what you can't. And, and there's a lot of different ins and outs that I don't understand. Right. Right. Absolutely. So the other amazing tax benefit is, uh, so let's say Oliver's building that he buys this building maybe with his brother and it goes from $4 million and it, it rises up to $6 million over over five years, right? Which is what's happened here in Southern California. Mm. And uh, now he wants to buy a bigger building because if he can sell his building for $6 million, he now has not just 800000 he's got $2.8 million suddenly. And mm-hmm. he wants to use that as a down payment to buy, a, uh, I'll say, a $12 million building, right? Now, you would think he would have to pay taxes. Normally, he would. If he sells that building out outright, unless he does certain other tax strategies, he's going to have to pay tax, a lot of capital gain tax on that $2 million increase. But he can do something magical in real estate to avoid the tax. And I'm not going to put you on the spot again, Eric, but that is a thing called a 1031 exchange. I knew that long. <laughs> yeah, you I should have asked you, man. <laughs> just only because you and I've talked about it before right, uh, in, okay. in a previous podcast. We talked about a little, little bit about it. But yeah, that 1031 yeah. exchange is pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to put you like a deer in the headlines. <laughs> Appreciate so, that. Yeah. So 1031 exchange. As long as he buys a property of equal or less of equal or greater value, and he is, he's going to buy a $12 million property, he doesn't have to pay capital gains tax. Uh, if he does a 1031 exchange, it's a special process and you've got to follow the rules and it's very, you know, whatever. It's it's very precise, right? You can't just go and do it. You, you've got to plan it ahead and do it with experts. And again, you can come and talk to us about that and how it works. So he then buys his property for 12 million. He doesn't pay any taxes, right? So man, he got all that. He, depreci- he, he got all that rental income, didn't pay tax. He's now got a bigger property, still hasn't paid any tax. And then he holds that property for a number of years, and now he's getting older, and sadly he dies, we'll say at age 80, and he's got grandkids. And the property is worth, um, we'll say, $20, $26 million. How much tax does he pay, Eric? Well, he doesn't pay any because he's dead. He Exactly. Agreed. <laughs> how, much do, uh, how much do my grandchildren pay when they inherit his $26 million property and they sell it the next day? The question is, is there a step in, up in basis? There is exactly. There's a okay. step up in basis. Oh, so w- whenever you die, all of your assets that would otherwise be subject to capital gains tax vanish. All of that potential tax liability vanishes. Capital gains tax disappears. They get what's called step up in basis as if the grandchildren had bought the property from their dad the day before he buyed, uh, died. They don't owe 
any tax on that property. Yeah, that's great. And under current law with the estate, you know, uh, currently you can leave your heirs $26 million, as just around $26 million. I think it's just a touch below. $26 million if you're a married couple, you can leave that to your heirs. They don't pay any estate tax. So not only have you avoided tax on a significant part of your rent that you received throughout your life, not only have you avoided all the capital gains as you, you know, as you leveraged one property into another, you now don't pay any taxes. You know, there's no taxes due on your death and no estate taxes. That, Eric, is why we have so many people with huge yachts in real estate in Newport Beach, where I have my vote. <laughs> yeah, that, that those are huge advantages. I knew you picked that 26 million number for a very specific reason. Right. Uh, it fits right in there. So that's perfect. Yeah, it, it is just amazing in Newport Beach, the amount of real estate, real estate money. Um, uh, yeah, there's a guy called Rick Caruso, who he's much bigger in real estate than that. But you know, he's got one of the biggest houses and probably the biggest yacht I have ever seen in my yeah. life. And he, uh, uh, yeah, his house and his yacht is based on Newport Beach. Wow. Um, yeah, it looks like an ocean liner. Uh, real estate, man. You see, this is why kids like Oliver all think real estate is the answer. But we're going to throw some cold water on that in, all right. uh, in, in a bit. Um, right. So I've talked about the tax tax advantages. You know, there are other advantages, but we don't have time to get into it. Um, but there are things like enterprise opportunity zones you can take advantage of. Um, there, are there are tax strategies to avoid the tax in other ways. If you're selling your real estate, you know, reach out to us. Uh, but I'm going to get right on to the cons, right? Our next seed, the cons and the challenges of buying real estate. So the first one, of course, is market uncertainty. And it could drop in price, right? Uh, as I said, as I just pointed out, if it drops by ten percent, and you um, uh, and you put ten percent down, you've just lost your uh, your life savings. Mm. Um, but we're going to talk more about market uncertainty um, uh, further on when we talk about the the outlook for the current real estate market. You know, my my concerns and the current outlook. It's also yeah. You know, what are some of the other challenges? You've already, you've already touched on them, Eric. But what have you found? Some of the uh, just remind us of some of the challenges that that you found in in owning a real estate rental property. Well, one of the things is depending on how many you have. If it's just one unit like ours, finding renters, uh, mm -hmm. good quality renters, you've got to take time. If if you're not in it, like like you said, I, I thought it was a great suggestion uh, from your wife. You know, you buy an apartment building, you live in two of the units, and then you're there on site. Uh, for us, it was always a challenge because we both had full-time jobs and we'd have to travel to go to the house to, to do any repairs, to collect rent. Uh, this was before all the digital, you know, just transfer the money by you know, Venmo or whoever else. Uh, so there's a lot of challenges there. And then um, again, I know that you have a story at the end, but we had to evict a tenant and uh, it was very stressful. There's a lot of stress involved. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. On that note, and uh, on that note of tenants, right? Yeah, I had a tenant living in one of my guest houses, and, and this guy was. Um, when I met him, I really liked him. He he had, uh, he went to Columbia University, and that that impressed me. And he played for their basketball team. And the dude was six foot eleven tall, and he was a writer. So I was, you know, I worked with a lot of writers and uh, and people in Hollywood. So that was interesting to me. So we got on well, and he 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 took the guest house on our property. He had been traveling, so he didn't have any landlord references. Hey, huge red flag, but I yeah. ignored them. <laughs> yeah. He gave me a big down payment. Guess what? Um, he, he paid me like six months up front. When the six months ran out, he didn't pay any more rent. Yeah. Finally, I go up to kind of serve him an eviction notice. And this guy towers over me and he tells me, 
that he's going to kill me and all my family members. That is, uh, that's a scary time. You know, yeah. It, it uh, definitely caused a lot of stress in the family for a while. We did manage to get him off the property, but you know, the police wouldn't, you know, I couldn't do a restraining order or anything like that. And, um, yeah, it was a spooky, weird time. Yeah, tenants. Yeah, so. it's, it's it's interesting because the tenant we had to evict also threatened to kill my me and my entire family. And really, the, and the problem was is that we we Adam, you know me well enough. We always try, try to take a chance on somebody and help somebody out. His wife moved into the house four months before he did because he was in prison for murder. <laughs> Oh, so when wow. he threatened to kill us after we took a chance on him after getting out of prison, yeah, we took it very seriously. And it was it was a four-month ordeal. We had to go to court four or five separate times. Luckily, we had a good attorney. But uh, yeah, it was just, it, if I'm doing it again, I'm doing it with a management company that I don't have to deal with all the whole tenant issues like that. Um, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Gosh, I'm, I'm really sorry but I, to hear that, but I think that's really useful for, for the listeners. And yeah. I know you, I mean, you do amazing work, Eric, and I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that something like that backfired because of you know what you do for, uh, you know, for people in need. So um, anyway, moving on, leaving murder and death threats behind <laughs> us. <laughs> yeah. So the other challenge, aside from tenants who say they're going to kill you, <laughs> a more minor challenge is, uh, is this capital intensive, right? Not only you've got to come up, not only do Oliver and Julian have to come up with eight hundred thousand dollars, but the roof, uh, you know, the roof may need to be replaced, right? And on a building that's four million dollars, that's going to be a big chunk of change. I mean, even on a building that's a hundred thousand dollars, it's a big chunk of change to replace yeah. the roof. Uh, you told some stories last week, right, Eric? I think that was a rental house. You found all the beams had rotted out because there was a leak, or was that your own house? That was my own house. Yeah, it was because of poor construction, and we just didn't know. Again, uh, the inspector that did the inspection didn't catch it, and so we weren't warned. But you know that that happens, right? But yeah, right. we had to replace a twenty-seven foot wall in the house because the the two by fours had just absolutely rotted out, and uh, it was again nerve wracking and expensive. Right. Right. So now then the next challenge is interest rates, right? That uh, sometimes people can't get a 30-year uh, fixed mortgage for a rental unit. Were you able to get a 30-year fixed for, was it always a rental unit or was it just a single family home? It was a single family home, but yeah, as a rental, uh, because we did have to pay a, a slightly higher rate. So we were at 6%, I think, when we purchased mm -hmm. the home. So it wasn't as bad. And it was also not a very expensive home. Right, right. I think that for multifamily units, um, that you, people can often have trouble uh, getting a 30-year mortgage. So it's going to be an adjustable rate mortgage, which means that the mortgage could change. Okay, so next, we're going to go into the next C, which is the calculations. So what are the key things? What's the, what are the two key terms? Did I already say the two key terms? I think I did, Eric. Do you remember the two key terms in figuring out whether it's a good deal or not? No, I don't know if you've said that yet. Okay. What's called the cap rate, okay? The cap rate. Are you familiar with the cap rate on a property, Eric? No. Okay. So the cap rate is the capitalization rate. And the other term that you need to know is the NOI, the net operating income. Of you did mention those. Yes, you did. Okay. Yep. Okay. Right. So you know, when I first heard the term cap rate and I wondered what that was on a property and I was being told, oh yeah, that, that's what you need to know, what the cap rate is. So the cap rate is like if my son Oliver went and put his whether it's him and Julian or just my son, Oliver, goes and puts that $800,000 in the bank or in an investment account. We'll say he puts it in the bank and he's getting interest on that, right? He's getting, I don't know, we'll say 4% interest. So the capitalization rate, rate is like 
It's kind of like the equivalent of that for a property. What interest are you getting on the property? What's what's it paying you like on a day-to-day basis? And so, you know, what that rent, what's the yield that you're getting from the rent? Uh, But it's after you take out all of the expenses, right? So in fact, that leads us to the net operating income. To understand the cap rate, first of all, you have to know what the net operating income is. So to get to the net operating income, you take the rent, and you deduct all the expenses. That's your net operating income. How much money do you get after you've paid all the all of the expenses except, and this is a biggie, do you know what it doesn't include? What huge expenses it not does net operating income not include, Eric? Depreciation. Um, it, it doesn't include <laughs> depreciation, no, exactly. It does not include the mortgage, okay? It doesn't oh, include okay. the mortgage. Yeah. Really? And it, yeah. yeah. And it, it doesn't include what are called... Um, uh, capital costs, like if you need, it, it, it includes kind of handyman costs, you know, fixing doors and fixing you know, well, everyday plumbing, but not a new roof, right? Hmm. Not remodeling the bathroom, right? So there are certain expenses that can't be deducted year to year on your tax form. They have to be what's called capitalized on the tax form. Um, but that's the whole thing I won't get into. But those bigger costs, the, the net operating income doesn't include that. So what, uh, you know, what does go into... All right, let's say you got $320,000 in rental income on your $4 million building, $320,000 in income. And let's say you got $200,000 in operating expenses. That's the cost of your manager, right? How much are you paying your manager? Utilities, taxes, insurance, general maintenance stuff. That all mm-hmm. goes into your operating expenses. So if uh, if you got three hundred twenty dollars in, in rental income minus two hundred dollars in operating expenses, you got $120,000 in net operating income. Now, got it. If you divide that by the four million dollar property, that gives you three percent. That's a three percent cap rate. So that's the return you're getting, not accounting for mortgage, not accounting for those bigger costs. You're getting three percent return. Now, would you rather get a three percent return in the bank, or would you rather get a three percent return putting buying? If you had four million dollars, would you rather buy a building where you're getting three percent a year, not accounting for those? new roof and everything or would you rather put get it put it in the bank and get three three percent a year or four percent a year in the bank bank <laughs> bank right bank, right because i mean they don't have to deal with anything else right i mean it's, right. it's kind of making my chest hurt here i'm like oh, right right because, right you know, those two that's a low margin it is a low margin so cap rates right now where i live in santa monica where oliver would buy his rental building are around three and a half percent i and let's say Oliver gets a seven and a half percent mortgage, and uh, I, I think actually the mortgage would be cost more than that. But I'm going to go with a seven and a half percent mortgage. You do the math, Eric. He's got a three percent cap rate, and he's got a seven and a half mortgage. What's what, what's he losing every month? Four and a half. That's not good. Yeah, he's losing it. Yeah, four and a half. And in dollar terms, he is subsidizing his renters by one hundred and fifty thousand dollars every year. That's what's going out of his pocket to, you know, to own this. And I'm saying this to Oliver, and Oliver says, yeah, but dad, I'm going to have an apartment building. I'm going to have a $4 million apartment building after 30 years. I mean, I can't lose even if I'm you know, paying out $150,000 a year. Well, it actually, sure, he's going to be paying down the mortgage, but it turns out he will have lost half a million, do- uh, half a million dollars, around half a million dollars after 30 years. Mm. right? Unless that apartment building goes up. 
Now, people are going to look at me and say, well, hey, Adam, 30 years, of course, this thing is going to go up in value because they're going to look at the last 40 years and and real estate has way mm-hmm. outpaced inflation. Okay, so Eric, let us go with the Fed's assumption. The Fed is is assuming that they can get inflation back to 2%. They want to keep inflation at 2% forever. Good luck with that. But let's say they succeed in that. And uh, we have, and Oliver has 2%. I was going to say, fortunately, I'm not sure it's fortunate, but we'll say either way, Oliver has 2% inflation for the rest of his life. And his building just keeps pace with inflation. That means after 30 years, it will have increased to $7.25 million by keeping pace with inflation. However, he has missed out on the opportunity for growing that $800,000 in another way. And if he had got a return of just 6.22% with that $800,000, if he'd put it in the stock and the bond market and a balanced portfolio over 30 years, he would have equaled the return on his real estate, right? So Mm. going forward, if it turns out that real estate just keeps pace with inflation, but the the stock and bond markets actually outperform and a balanced portfolio gets 6.22%, he would do just as well by investing that money elsewhere. And we've forgotten one thing that we got to kick in is those capital improvements, right? We Mm -hmm. didn't take account of the capital improvements. And if the IRS is right and his building, it has basically needs to be entirely rebuilt after 27 years. And we're, we're talking about 30 years later, by the time he leaves this building to his kids, that building is a teardown, right? If he hasn't done anything to it, he hasn't put a yeah. new roof on it. He hasn't put new bathrooms in. I mean, I just put new bathrooms in my house because I bought my house 22 years ago and, and the bathrooms, like they were just falling apart, right? Yeah. So let's say that he has to build, build a new building. Well, that's probably about half the cost of that uh, $7.25 million. Generally, it costs about half as much as, as you paid to rebuild it because um, the other half is the price of the land. So that's $3.5 million. He's got to pay $3.5 million. So now he only has $750,000 left from that gain. He spent 30 years making $800,000 grow an additional $750,000, right? That's Mm. if the building just keeps pace with inflation. And one last thing I want to say about this inflation thing and why it's so important is because Robert Schiller, who we mentioned last time, the Nobel Prize winning um, economist, whose specialty is real estate, did a study on the Dutch real estate market over 400 years and found that over the long term, there were many booms and busts, but real estate only kept pace with inflation. Well, for Mm. 40 years, we have been way above inflation, and maybe it is time that real estate takes a pause, maybe even takes a decline, and uh, until we're back on that long-term trend, right? So I don't think Oliver can guarantee, especially with rising interest rates, that real estate is going to outperform inflation over the next 30 years. Yeah, yeah. Man, that's a lot to consider, Adam. I mean, even just in this episode alone, it's it's you've got a ton of great information, and obviously it's burned a lot of questions uh, within me, and I'm sure the audience as well. Are we going to be able to get to the rest of this today, or do we need to break this podcast up again? Well, I think the, the audience's brains are probably kind of like getting paralyzed with information. <laughs> so we're going to give them a break, and okay. we will actually get to the remaining Cs uh, in, our, in our next podcast on real estate. The remaining Cs are 
are the current market and my concerns. I want to get into what I, the commercial real estate Armageddon. That sounds a bit dramatic, yeah. but I'm telling you what's going on in downtown real estate with the office buildings, Eric, is nothing short of an Armageddon. And it's pretty oh, interesting. Geez. I'm sounding wow. very dramatic, but it's kind of fascinating. So we're going to talk about that. But this time we talked about the pros of real estate. We talked about the cash flow advantages. We talked about the incredible tax benefits, right? I mean, they're amazing if real if you can get real estate at a good value. Yeah. We talked about the cons, you know, the hassle, the maintenance. Um, we talked about the calculations. You've really got to understand the cap rate. You've got to understand net operating income. And next time we're going to talk about the concerns in the current real estate market, and we're going to talk about the caution retail, and we're going to talk about the commercial real estate Armageddon. Woohoo! That's a lot. Yeah. Um, Adam, great stuff. Uh, again, I know that this really sparked a lot of questions for folks. How do they reach out to you? Hi, Erica. Thanks for asking as ever. Well, they can call me on my direct line. I'm giving you permission to call me on my direct line um, on 310-231-5262. 310-231-5262. You can also Perfect. go to well, uh, you can go to com, and you can uh, send us a message from there, wellacrewealth.com. And you can also email me at scott at wellacrewm.com or ascot at wellacrewealth.com. Awesome. Adam, thank you so much. Appreciate all the information. Appreciate the time with you. Great. Thanks ever. Uh, as ever, Eric, it's been a lot of fun and hearing about your <laughs> real estate. I hate to say horror stories, but whatever, your real estate stories. There were some good stories in there too. Maybe we can get into that on another podcast, but um, really, really good stuff happened with the house as well. But you know, people usually remember pain more than they remember pleasure. I don't know if that's yeah. uh, if you knew that, but that's a scientific fact. So we'll right. find out. And maybe uh, some other folks, if if listen, if you're listening to the podcast, you're like, hey, I've done real estate. Ugh, I've had some nightmares. Email them in. Email in some stories to Adam because. Um, you know, misery loves company. <laughs> I don't Absolutely. know if that's the way to say it, but, but people can learn from those kind of things. Yeah. And that's what we're, this podcast is all about. So um, listen, and, audience, um, we love participation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we love participation. And just one other thing, you know, uh, if you do your, if you are determined to own real estate and you do your um, homework properly, I have had some amazing tenants and I've got some amazing tenants right now. So they don't have to be uh, yeah. the nightmare scenario. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, again, Adam, thank you so much. And of course, our last thank you goes to you listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Red Carpet Retirement Podcast with Adam Scott. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Adam comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. We ask you to rate and like the podcast and maybe leave a comment because this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Well or Wealth, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Wellacre Wealth Management, LLC. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content should not be considered as legal or tax advice, nor is it intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor and consult with your own legal and tax professionals before taking any action.